to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Our text today is going to be verse 42 to 47 with an emphasis on verse 42 as we begin to look at this section of scripture uh, piece by piece and verse by verse. And today's message is entitled Devoted to Teaching uh, with the big idea of the book of Acts being that the Holy Spirit empowers believers and churches to live for the glory of God, to share the good news about Jesus, and to advance the kingdom of God. With that, the Word of God is central. Truth is the foundation of it all. And the book of Acts takes place following the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It records for us the history of the early Christian church the spread of the gospel, as well as the people who are opposed to the spread of the gospel. Luke is the author of the work, and he marks a clear progression from the gospel of Luke, where he leaves off, to where the story picks up. And Acts begins with an emphasis on Peter, and then it ends with an emphasis on Paul, highlighting his three missionary journeys. During this time, the church is growing, it's spreading throughout the Roman Empire, uh, they're focusing on the gospel. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there are two major sections in the book, one being the ministry and the mission of Peter in Jerusalem and Samaria, and then the other being, of course, the mission and the ministry of Paul in the missionary journeys that I already referenced in Gentile evangelism. So the focus is on Jesus, the church, the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission, and the kingdom of God. And we've considered Acts chapter 2 so far in four parts. We looked at the miracle of Pentecost in verses 1 through 13, and then the message of Pentecost and how prophecy was fulfilled in verses 14 to 21. Then the message of Pentecost focusing on and highlighting Jesus of Nazareth in verse 22 to 36. And then the message of Pentecost on how to be forgiven. How can we be right with God in verses 37 to 41. And we focused on how the greatest need of any human being is to have our sins forgiven, to experience the grace of God, no matter what our track record is, no matter what our background is, no matter how far away from God we might have been, to experience that love and that reconciliation with him. So now we come to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 to 47, and you'll note that verse 42 is important because it references teaching, but what we're going to emphasize here is how faith, study, and obedience intersect with teaching, with the Word of God, with the doctrine that we're supposed to be taking into our hearts, and how that is lived out practically. So we begin reading in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the emphasis here today is on the first part of verse 42. They devoted themselves, or your translation might say, they continued steadfastly. And that indicates a steadfast, 
single-minded fidelity to a particular focus. And we read here about the history of the early church, and what I would say is its greatest state of innocence uh, as much as is possible. Uh, This was as healthy as a church could be with sinners like us comprising it, uh, but it provides insight for us uh, to learn from. And as I think about the church, the, the early birth of the New Testament church, the growth of it, the expansion of it, how it all focuses on Jesus, I think about my own love for the church, the church as the bride of Christ. And part of my story is that I've been in church my entire life, literally. And I was saved at the age of seven. I've served vocationally in the church uh, for the great majority of my adult life. And some of my greatest joys and some of my greatest difficulties and disappointments in life have been in the church and in and among church family. But I love the church. And as long as we are on this side of eternity, every local church is going to be a gathering of imperfect people following after a perfect Savior. And in this, we need to understand how a healthy church functions. Now, specifically, what were they devoted to or what did they continue steadfastly in? When we think about teaching or doctrine, what's in view here is the Word of God. It's a steadfast focus, a sincere devotion to the Word of God. Now, I think it has several parts. I think it has an intellectual aspect to it. So these are the things that we think and process in our minds about the Word. It has a spiritual focus because it touches our hearts, right? It, it, it reaches down deep into our souls. The Word of God is sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it gets where nothing else can by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there is a life focus on our obedience or how we actually live it out. So you might think about it this way. It involves our our head, our heart, and our hands. It's comprehensive. So I want to show you, first of all, that devotion to teaching begins with faith. It begins with faith. Now, it references here the apostles. An apostle is one who is sent. And then doctrine is reference to teaching. And apostolic doctrine is teaching that came through the apostles, but they were chosen by Jesus. They were given the word. These are people who wrote the word down in part, and they were to carry the message of Jesus to the world. So this is not the ideas of men. This is apostolic doctrine that is authoritative. And the reason this apostolic doctrine is authoritative is because the source of it is God himself. And the New Testament writers also refer to it by using the phrases the faith or the gospel. Teaching is an important and integral part of life. Just think about practically, whatever your vocation is, whatever your background is, uh, whatever your experiences are, if you know how to do something, it's because somebody taught you how to do it. Now, some people are better teachers than others, but you still get the point that if there was something that you did not know how to do, and then you learned how to do it, at some level, you were taught, and there was information that you consumed to be able to process it in your mind and then be able to apply it uh, to your life. And it's the same way with the Scripture, that we go through life acquiring the truth of the Scripture as believers. We grow in that knowledge, and then we apply it to our life uh, with wisdom. And faith to believe in God's Word is essential to receiving all the promises that He says we can have. It's one thing to read the promise and say, oh, God's a good God. He's a loving God. But it's another thing to read the promises and say, oh, that's for me. That's my life. 
That's God's grace to me. That's his love to me in everyday life. And logic predicates that there is one objective truth. Now, you might have heard the phrase, the law of non-contradiction. And what the law of non-contradiction states is that contradictory positions cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. So let me give you a real simple definition or real simple illustration, I should say. Uh, The statement, the dog is in his pen and the dog pen is empty are contradictory. So they cannot both be true at the same time. One has to be true and one has to be false. And when God gave us his word, he gave us the standard of truth. He, he gave us the foundation to build everything else on. And in doing that, he used 40 inspired authors uh, to write the scriptures over a period of about 1,500 years. And he is moving history, this history that he has given us, toward a desired end of the new heavens and the new earth. So my bias is that I believe that the Bible is true. And I believe that Jesus presented himself as the exclusive truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You remember Jesus also said in John 17 and 17, to the Father in his prayer, sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. So Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And then he said that the word of God is truth. And we believe that by faith. Peter addressed the same issue in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he makes it clear that what these men wrote down, they, they wrote down because they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. That these were not the ideas of men. These were the ideas of God. Paul reiterated the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. So when we think about the full scope of the record of scripture and we include history and archaeology and philosophy All of these things support the fact that the Bible is true and it's consistent. Now, you might remember that faith is a central theme in the book of Romans as well. And I want to draw out a particular point that Paul makes in Romans 10 and verse 17. Because 40 times in that book, faith in one form or the other is referenced. And he says in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the idea of faith is translated from a word which means trust or confidence. So leading up to this statement, faith comes by hearing, there's an explanation of what takes place when we exercise faith. And to believe, you have to first hear the message. You've got to hear the report of all that God has done. And then you call on the name of the Lord after you hear. What you believe about the Bible, particularly about the truthfulness and the authority of it, has temporal and eternal implications. If the Word of God is true and it can be trusted, and it is and it can, then we should believe what it says. And if we look at the big story of Scripture, it will help us understand God, ourselves, life, eternity, and He shows us our origins in creation, that there's an eternal God who created all things and He made us for a relationship with Him. He tells us about the fall and what took place when sin entered into the world and rebellion brought chaos. Then the whole story of redemption that unfolds 
from Genesis 3 and verse 15 on, the Bible is the story of Jesus, the promise of Messiah, and then the realization of Messiah, and then the finished work of Messiah. And then the scripture tells us about the consummation of all things, like the, the end result of where all of this is headed. So it's incredibly helpful for us, also comforting, and at the same time challenging, to know this full scope from creation to consummation. We get to see the big picture because God has been kind and he's shown us the big picture uh, in his word. Devotion to teaching begins with faith. But then second, devotion to teaching continues with study. This is where you got to apply yourself. Now, I just want to say this as straight as I possibly can. One of the evidences of us being genuine believers followers of Jesus, is that we have at some level a hunger for the Word of God. Now, we're at different points in that hunger because our spiritual maturity levels are different, our experiences are different, our situations in life at the moment might be different. There's all kinds of factors that feed into how that kind of ebbs and flows, and sometimes our hunger is greater than others. But at a heart level, there's got to be some desire to hear and to know what God has done and how God says to live. And we're told in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 that we are to be diligent to present ourselves approved unto God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He says right after that, a verse we often don't read because 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 happens to be the Awana verse and we stop at 15. But here's what he says in verse 16. Avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. Now, here's a point I want to draw out. The early church gathered together to study their faith and to understand the doctrine that they had received. And we should do the same. Now, obviously, there are some people who use the word of truth for their own wrong agendas. And I think verse 16 of 2 Timothy 2 actually points out that if the word of God is used improperly for wrong agendas, it can actually produce more godlessness. You say, well, how could that be? Well, false teachers claim that what they teach will help you advance in your spiritual life and you'll make progress. Oh, you'll make progress all right if you follow after false teaching, but it's going to be progress in the wrong direction and you're going to suffer the consequences of it. And Paul refers to uselessness, the ruin of the hearers, further ungodliness. He's going to say in verse 17 that it spreads like gangrene and then verse 18, he's going to say that it causes people to go astray from the truth and to upset the faith of others. So be careful of people who would use the word of truth for their own agendas to draw it back to themselves so that they would benefit in some ungodly way. Some also use the word of truth for knowledge only. Evidently, according to verse 14 in that same passage, some people were wrangling about words. They're displaying their knowledge but what does Satan do with spiritual knowledge sometimes? He uses it to puff up. He uses it to cause us to be prideful, to appeal to what we know and what we think rather than the authority of the word. And that can get us in all sorts of trouble. So here's some questions you can ask when you study the word that will help you focus in. What does this teach me about God? I'm talking about tomorrow morning when you wake up and you read whatever your devotional is or tomorrow evening 
and you're studying a passage. You're asking the question, what does this teach me about God? And then in turn, what does this teach me about myself? And then third, how should I apply this to my life? And that's a simple framework to interact with the word, to be able to process it in your life. And growing in knowledge is important. Careful Bible study is essential. So we're told to be diligent, to give ourselves to it. And diligence requires us to know God and to learn what he wants us to believe and to live. We're told to present ourselves unto God as approved workmen. Present is the word that's used to speak of a bride being presented to her bridegroom. And that's how we should approach the Bible. Because Jesus has an enduring love for his church. And we should have an enduring love for him and want to honor him with our lives. And we ultimately don't want to be ashamed. We want to study and handle the word of God accurately. Now, I like this illustration. Somebody illustrated this by a metaphor using a craftsman or a carpenter. And you can think for a moment, pretend for a moment, or maybe you are actually, and you don't have to pretend, that you're a carpenter and the word of God is your set of tools. A skilled carpenter will not cut corners, but they will do what they need to do in order to be an approved carpenter for people to be happy enough, at least, with the finished work. And if a carpenter were to show up at your house with no tools, they don't have a level, they don't have a square, they don't have a tape measure, they don't have any plans, they don't really know what they're going to do, you'd be very concerned. You probably would not want them to do the work. And it's the same way if we're interacting and we say, oh, we believe the Bible. We stand on the Bible. Well, do we really? Is it really central to our lives where we're studying? Are we rightly dividing it? Scripture speaks of rightly dividing, which means literally to cut a path or a road in a straight direction so that you can go to your destination. Uh, Using a farming analogy, Chrysostom said it means to plow a straight furrow. So any of you might have a little bit of farming background could identify with that just a little bit. And we want to accurately cut the doctrine of Scripture. Now hear me clearly on this. We are not studying the Word so that we can impress others. We're not studying the Word so that we can be puffed up. We're not studying the Word for our own gain in some type of way that's not helpful or not consistent with what God wants. We are studying the Word for an audience of one. We want to hear from the author and we want to study the word and be approved by him. I read a story about a young man that studied violin under a world-renowned teacher who was at the time an older man and when this student's first recital came when he was done the crowd cheered after the number that he had played But the young performer was not satisfied. He got all kinds of applause, but he was still unsettled. And people noticed that he was looking up in the balcony. Why was he looking in the balcony? Because that's where his teacher was seated. And the old man in the balcony smiled in approval, and the young man was overjoyed. He was not looking for the approval of the crowd. He was looking for the approval of the teacher. And so it is in our lives, our spiritual lives, We're looking to God. We're looking to the author and the finisher of our faith because we want to honor him and and we want to know him better. And then third and finally, devotion to teaching results in obedience. So we've got faith. Now we've got study. 
And now we've got obedience. This is where the results come in. Obedience to the word of God means that you've got to hear it, believe it, and live it. And from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible has a lot to say about obedience. The foundational concept is obey and be blessed, disobey and suffer the consequences. God, God puts these markers in place and he says, listen, if you'll do this, if, you, if you'll walk this way, you'll find peace, you'll find purpose, and you'll be able to serve me with uh, faithfulness. But he says, if you get off over there, if you go past the guardrail, you're going to be off in the ditch somewhere and you're going to have some problems. Obey means to trust. It means to submit to authority and then to act on it. Eerdman's Bible Dictionary says this, true hearing or obedience involves physical hearing that inspires the hearer and a belief or a trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with the speaker's desires. Obedience means to hear God's word and act accordingly. Now, obedience ought to be motivated by love. You hear me say often that the Christian faith is not about try harder and do better. That's the way some have presented it. It's like, here's your set of rules. And if you don't measure up to those, then you did it all wrong. And the focus is on us and our strength and our ability. So people think somehow that, that they can measure up to all of that. We just start with the idea that we can't measure up to any of it. We can only measure up to it through the righteousness of Jesus, the truth of the word, and the power of the Holy Spirit applying it to our lives. We are not justified or made righteous by obedience. Obedience is the fruit of our justification and our being made righteous. Salvation is a free gift and we can do nothing to earn it. But obedience is a demonstration of faith. Disobedience leads to death, spiritual death first. We know that from the fall and Adam and Eve and the story of what took place there. But throughout the Bible, there's this clear contrast between disobedience and obedience. I think about Saul, who was chosen as king of Israel after the people begged for a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. And Saul started humbly, but you remember he stopped listening to God and it cost him his position as king. And here's what 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22 and 23 says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And then he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. After Jesus ascended back into heaven, the apostles had a huge responsibility before them. But they had to decide, first of all, we're we going to obey, we're going to do what Jesus said, or not. The religious establishment, they weren't so pleased with what the apostles did. They were annoyed. They arrested uh, the disciples, uh, beat them, sent them on their way, telling them to stop. And you remember their conclusion in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29? But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We want to obey God. We don't want to have a fear of man. And that's what's happened to a lot of the church today is when you define what truth is and you draw some lines about what's right and wrong, about what's permissible and impermissible, then all of a sudden people don't really want to do that because they're afraid of how other people are going to respond to them. 
Listen, we can't have a fear of man that is greater than a fear of God. We've got to have, have a fear of God that causes us to want to obey him. And just as the apostles met opposition, we're going to meet opposition. It's, it's inevitable. And if your faith is genuine, you will obey Jesus, not because you have to, but because you want to and because you love him. Devotion to teaching results in obedience. So I ask you this question in closing. Are you devoted to teaching? I'm thankful that a day is coming when teaching will not be necessary. And the day that we see Jesus face to face, we will know even as we are known. But let me give you quickly some practical markers that reflect whether or not you are devoted to teaching. The first is you will spend time in the word of God on your own. Whatever that looks like for you, whether you've got a devotional book that helps you do it or uh, you're reading through a book of the Bible or, or you have some pattern of something that you're studying to grow in your walk and your faith with Jesus, you're going to study the word of God personally. That's your starting point. And then you're going to gather to study the word of God with other believers. Now, ideally, that's going to be in two settings. It's going to be in a small group setting where there's more give and take and there's more questions and interaction and more application uh, like happens in our Bible fellowship classes and also in our discipleship groups. Um, and then also gathering like we are here to hear the word proclaimed. And we're studying Acts together. We are devoted to teaching because we are studying the word of God together. And those are going to be practical markers. Study in your own life and then study ideally in a small group as well as in a larger gathering like this. In all of it, we want to be a church that is about the word of God, the grace of God, and how to apply it to our lives. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we come toward a close of the service. Where are you at right now, realistically? Like if you honestly answer uh, regarding your devotion to teaching and to the word of God, are, are you faithfully studying it on your own, reading it on your own? If you're not, you got to start somewhere. Now, I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to tell you that there is life in these words and you ought to focus on it. Are you studying the word of God with other believers? Are you connected somewhere in a smaller group Bible study that will help you learn more and be a place you can ask questions and engage? And then are you hungry to be together with God's people for worship as we are today to hear the word proclaimed? God, we are grateful for your word. We don't take it for granted. May we be faithful in it as we believe it, study it, and live it. I pray if there's anybody here today who's not yet a follower of Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. And if there are other spiritual decisions that need to be made, that people would respond. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And um, after we sing just for a moment, I'll close out our service. Uh, so let's sing together.